Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. This week we're in Empires Volume 4, which is a study through the book of Romans. Enjoy the message. Do you believe it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Right? Uh, are you living today with an increased level of hope? Are you? Now, now, honestly speaking, you might shake your head yes, but inside you're like, I don't know. But I want you to know if you are a child of God this morning, you have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, when you know that Jesus Christ, you're closer to, to being with Christ, your hope level, no matter what your circumstances are, should be increasing. And so it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We're going to open up God's word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 specifically this morning. Um, and we are going to continue our study in the book of Romans, which next week we conclude. All right. So if you've been with us the last few years, we've been on and off with the book of Romans and Empires, volume one, two, three, and now four. It's concluding. Yeah, we will have a few bonus uh, episodes on the Spotify and on our Kenosha City Church app that we're going to add in the next few weeks. Uh, but this has been a long haul through the study of Romans. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and listen to it. And today specifically, uh, we're going to see Paul talk about his future plans. Specifically, we're going to talk about the will of God. We always wonder what is going to happen in our future, or God, what will happen a week from now, a month from now? God, should I take that job, or God, should I date that person, or God, should I, how many kids should we have? We always want to know what the will of God is, and we see in Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 20, uh, we, we, we see Paul address the will of God within his plans. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 15, verse 20 says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. What we see here in this passage this morning is Paul's aim is to live within the will of God. That should be our aim this morning. Our whole total lives should be, God, I want to live within your will. The will of God is a topic that affects us all, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. If you're a human being and you're alive, you are walking either in or out of the will of God. Now, ironically... I began writing this very message three weeks ago, the will of God. And it's the only message I've never completed until now. I got a phone call in the middle of this message. I was about halfway done. It was for my brother. I had just talked to my brother a half an hour prior. I knew it wasn't good. Uh, my mom was traveling back to Iowa to enter into hospice. My mom, if you don't know, uh, she's been battling strokes and cancer for, uh, for the last couple years. My mom's been a cancer survivor since 1998. Uh, my mom had uh, kidney cancer, a kidney removed a year ago, successful surgery. She then had bladder cancer, successful surgery, so we thought, in January. Uh, but what they didn't know is that it had spread. I'll get to that in a second. In February, uh, I was in Europe with a team with a missions team uh, launching, we were launching different ministries around Europe, and I came back, and the next day I got a call from my sister saying, there's something wrong with mom. Turns out she had a stroke, but not just one stroke, she had six major strokes. 
It baffled the doctors, by the way, because one of these strokes should have taken her out. She had six of them, and she could still talk, and she began to immediately get better. She was able to walk. She was able to talk. She was able uh, to basically hear the laugh of mom. The only thing that she didn't have was a little bit of her left side. It baffled the doctors. I, it didn't baffle me. Because I know that we were praying as a church and we knew that whatever time God was going to give my mom, he was going to, uh, he was going to do something. Uh, even a month later after her stroke, she was released from the hospital to begin uh, living a regular life again. Uh, it was two weeks in when she was at home, she began to have heavy breathing and it turned out she had two blood clots in her lungs. She went to the hospital, they dissolved the blood clots, but it's there that they discovered uh, that there was cancer all over her liver. In fact, they had missed the cancer and the bladder at some time in the last six months had moved over to the liver. And when we went to the oncologist, they said, we're sorry, there's nothing we can do. We can try to do some treatment to extend her life, maybe one to two years, uh, but it has moved in the liver and it is all over the place. In fact, they were really surprised again. It wasn't just one tumor, it was about 20 tumors. Like, we actually don't know, like, how she's at like this like she had so much strength and so much wit with her and we, again we knew it was the prayers of the lord but uh, the treatment she needed would would require her to go to arizona and so uh, she flew to arizona uh, they got the the, uh, the they went through the meetings and they realized yes we're going to go through this treatment but four days prior to the beginning of the treatment she had a seventh major stroke and this one was big this was the one that took away uh, her emotions. It took away a lot of uh, even the short-term uh, memory. And she would never be able to begin those treatments. And so a few weeks back, I flew out to Arizona, which I knew may have been the last time that I was able to see my mom. And it makes you realize just the time that you have in life. Uh, we think we have so much more time to do things. We think we have so much more time or we can defer a conversation or we can defer a hug or we can defer what's important because we have time. But the only person that knows how much time you have is the Lord God Almighty. And I, what I believe is this, is that we always overestimate the length of which time we have to do things, Right? And so I knew that when I was, uh, I kissed my mom on the forehead and I said goodbye to her two weeks ago. And I said, I'll see you next week. But it didn't come out of my mouth. I said, I will see you again. That would be the last time that I would see uh, my mom. Uh, and I knew that when my brother called, when I was writing this message, it wasn't good. There was a pit in my stomach. Um, and I got the call that she had passed on her arrival uh, to uh, Indianola. I immediately stopped writing this message on the will of God, and I couldn't help to ironically think, God, I was praying that your will was to heal her. I was praying that your will would be to, that she can receive these treatments and get another one to two years, and yet that's not what came to pass. It wasn't my will. It was a different plan. God had a different plan. And I want you to know this, that as I talk about God's will, it's deeply personal this morning. And so I'm usually pretty unfiltered anyway, but I'm going to be unfiltered because I want you to know that I, in the last three weeks, uh, people are like, how are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing good in the sense that uh, the, the time with the Lord has been like, woo, way up there because I've been thinking a lot about heaven. 
I've been thinking a lot about the time that we have, and it drives me back to what we're all about here at Kenosha City Church, and I'm a broken record. It's the mission of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to double down on that, if that's cool. But secondly, what I'm going to double down on is the need for people who call themselves Christians to get back on the gospel now, right? And that is an epidemic across this country. We have cultural Christianity that is eating biblical Christianity for breakfast. And Kenosha City Church, we're not going to do that, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. God's plan was different, but make no mistake, his plans are perfect. They're perfect And no matter what our will or what our desires are for our life, and it may be whatever situation that's going on in your life, I want you to know no matter what your will is, it will never overpower what the actual will of God is. And so it's important for us to understand when we're talking about the will of God, it's not about God, I want you to bless my plan. It's God, I need to figure out what your plan is. I want to join you in what you're doing Man, no matter what age you're in, no matter what is you're anticipating in your future, you can waste so much of your life if you don't ask that question, God, what are you doing and how can I join you? Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just moments from his betrayal from Judas and on the eve of his crucifixion, he began to think about the cost. What we just celebrated and, and commemorated at, in communion. Uh, Jesus was in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion. And he prayed. What we could just skim through and say, okay, I've read this passage. I hear this every Easter or every Good Friday. No, no, listen to this. Jesus was actually praying to God the Father in the Trinity. Uh, Jesus was asking, is there another way? He's realizing the excruciating pain he's going to face on the cross. He's realizing the wrath of God that he's going to take upon himself because of our sin. And he realized, this is a big deal. And he said to God the Father, if you're you're willing, remove this cup. Jesus is saying, is there another way? Can he do that instead? Have you ever prayed this? God, is there another way? God, can, can, we, can you do it this way? But I love this. I love this. This is so profound what Jesus said. He said, if you are willing, remove this cup. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What a perspective. As much as we want control over our plans and our life and our situations, the will of God is the ultimate reminder that he is in control. And we have a responsibility to live in obedience and recognition to the almighty God no matter what. He is God. He is in control. And he gives and he takes away. But no matter what, if he gives or takes away, our heart needs to be appraised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen, church? We often want to know God's plan, though, don't we? Oh, God, what what are you going to do in this situation? What should I do? Whether it be from a high level of, oh, God, what's going on in culture? God, when are you going to smite this culture for just being so disobedient in the everyday, right? Or maybe you're like, oh God, when are you going to come back? Like we want high level uh, recognition of what God is doing. But maybe it's on a more of a personal level. How you live, 
God, how many children should I have? God, when should I get married? Or God, when should I take that job? Or God, should I buy that house? Or God. But knowing God's will and all those things, and it's, it's proper. You should pray about everything, right? But God's will sometimes is reduced into some kind of help, right? When you, go on the when you go on a website or you go on an app and you hit the chat line, you know, I just need some help for something I'm already going to do. No, that's not what God's will is all about. Knowing God's will is not about your comfort it's, or even about your perception of what you think is ideal for a situation. And I hate to say it, when many churches or even Christians talk about the will of God, it's descended into some narcissistic, personal God, I want you to do what I want to do. Uh, God, I, I want to know your will only if it lines up to my will. The will of God is actually none of that, ultimately. The will of God is living in obedience to God's plan while understanding he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. I heard it said it this way from somewhere. J.H. Wright is what I've written down. We often start off this pursuit of God's will as where does God fit into my life story? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? I love that. Here's our main idea this morning. This main idea actually predates uh, when I finished off this message. So I'm like, this, this still sticks. Ready? Main idea. The will of God starts with God, not you. The will of God starts with God, not you. And today, through the writings of Paul in Romans 15, we're going to see that. That God has a moral will for your life. That God has a sovereign will for your life. And finally, we're going to see that God wants you to use wisdom in all of your life. Let's talk about the first one. God's will. God has a moral will for your life. Back to Romans 15, verse 20. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. The foundation of Paul's life was that everything, from his thoughts to his actions to his aspirations, whatever he was passionate about would be directed by the will of God. And we see here that Paul, uh, the will of God for Paul was to preach the gospel. That's God's will for all of us, actually. But we see here specifically uh, that God wanted Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That is, uh, people of non-Jewish descent. And these are people that would have never heard of the gospel before. Uh, his call uh, to the Lord uh, was to not lay a foundation that someone had already built. He was going to build the foundations. And so... Many missionaries today, they will do work like Paul. They'll go into areas where the gospel's never been heard. Maybe it's in an area where the gospel's fallen out of use, like the Muslim world, uh, much in the Middle East. They've never heard of the gospel. Places like even France haven't heard of the gospel. Those are places that people begin to lay new foundations. Uh, there are places in jungles, whether it be in the Amazon or even in uh, the Asia Pacific, where there are people that have never heard of the gospel before, still to this day. It is a command, God's command in Scripture, uh, that we are to preach the gospel. And whether it be the command of preaching the gospel or any command in Scripture, a command is not a suggestion. It, 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 people often say, I, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. And I say, okay, let's start off with the moral will of God. Are you going to obey what he said? 
See, the moral will is this. If you're taking notes. The moral will of God is God's commands and righteous requirements in the Bible for people under his sovereign rule. That's all of us. God's commands and righteous requirements in the Bible for anyone under his sovereign rule. And that's all of us. Basically, let me just simplify this. God's moral will for your life is obeying the commands in Scripture uh, that he has for you. It's plainly spelled out. Any command in Scripture. If you want to know the will of God, then you need to know his word and his commands to live in right relationship with him and others. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting and for training in righteousness. I mean, God is so loving. He is so loving that, that he gave us his love letter. He gave us his revelation that we can know God. You see, there's this idea out there. It's more of a deist idea that God is out there somewhere uh, and, and he kind of watches us, uh, but he doesn't really interact with us and he, we can't really know him. He doesn't really know us. That's not biblical Christianity. God is so active in our lives, and he wants us to know him, and that's why he's given us a word that transcends all the years and the decades and, and seasons of this world. That God has given us his scripture. For, it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. I, I, but I also hear people say, well, okay, the Bible, okay. I know there's commands in there, but seriously, like, can we really trust the Bible? Because there's so many people that have different ideas and interpretations. And, you know, it, how do you know this isn't, you know, just outdated? And, well, I love what Scripture says. Second Peter 1.20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets or humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, Scripture was given to us by over 40 different authors, uh, inspired and, and, and filled by the Holy Spirit to write over a course of 1,500 years on three different continents, using three different languages, and, and is held to the test of time. God is so loving that he's going to hold his word and it's not going to go anywhere anytime this side of heaven. Why? Because he wants us to know his will for your life. God's moral will is spelled out clearly in scripture. You can know it. But God's moral will is something you can obey or disobey. Jesus gives us a big warning in the gospel of Matthew chapter 7. He says, now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, the Bible is clear, by the way. You are saved uh, by faith in Christ alone. It's by grace. That means undeserved favor uh, through faith, placing your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Uh, that's what actually makes you right with God. But it doesn't stop there. I think, I think the reason why Christianity is in a mess in the Western world is a lot of people think, okay, I can know about Jesus. I can know about that he died on the cross. I can know about that he rose from the dead. I can recite that like a catechism, and then I'm cool, right? But here's the deal. 
When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, which is by grace and faith alone, something miraculous happens in your life. You go from spiritual death to spiritually being alive. It is a resurrection of the spirit that happens right now. It's beautiful. The Bible calls it being born again. And when you are alive, healthy things that are alive will grow. They'll grow. Healthy things grow. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a word that, that means you're going to become more and more like Jesus. Often traditions of different traditions of churches or religions, uh, they, they look at sanctification. That means growth in Christ. They've mistaken it with salvation in Christ. Eh, wrong. You are saved by grace and faith alone. But when you're made alive in Jesus Christ, you are compelled to grow as a result. Every healthy thing grows. My son Elias, who's now 12, when he was young, when he was a newborn baby, he just couldn't put on the weight. He had acid reflux, uh, he couldn't hold down his food, and it got to a point where he was no longer on the growth chart. And they labeled him with the label, failure to thrive. And I remember that was like a wake-up call to me. I was like, oh, he needs to eat more. So what I decided to do, what Alice and I decided to do is that we had natural milk and then we had formula and we're like, he's gonna eat both of them. And I'm gonna tell you, over the course of a couple weeks, he was no longer failing to thrive because he was eating the nutrients that he needed and he was holding it down. What we have today in many churches and, and in Christianity across the West and around the world, really, uh, people can literally know about Jesus. Uh, they can go to church. They can do all the things of church. They can sit in a seat, but internally never be changed. Failure to thrive. And I want you to know, God does not want you to be a participant that isn't thriving. That is not his will. Some, some people, they come to church First and foremost, for community. Community's not a bad thing, is it? They come for community. But I've seen a big, big, big problem that always ends in tatters is when you place the community, that's kind of Christianized community, over the gospel. What happens is the community reflects some kind of bootleg Christianity that's not biblical. You see, community is beautiful in the church when it stems through a conviction, when it stems through the conviction of mission that we must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When community is born out of right belief and right action, it's a healthy community. We will experience community at Kenosha City Church, but it is our desire, it's community that comes from the gospel, from the power of the Holy Spirit, from biblical obedience, not a club, not a club with a little bit of Jesus. And you, you know these clubs, right? People use a bunch of Christian jargon. That doesn't even make sense, right? You know, people go around thinking they need to be spiritual. Proving it's, that's not, it, it's that. Look, everybody's welcome here. But if you want to come in the doors and you want to prove yourself and your religiosity, you're going to be very frustrated. Because that's not currency here. The gospel is currency, all right? Some people... They want community over the gospel. And Jesus didn't die on the cross, by the way, for that. He didn't die on the cross for us to be some Christian gang. Where it's all about us in the name of Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. He didn't die so that you can be judgmental or, or gossip. By the way, we have zero tolerance to that here. 
you know, gossip is one of the biggest things that the church deals with in the West, and we've declared war on that. And if you gossip, you're not going to feel comfortable here. Oh, you're still welcome here, but it's just not currency. Some of you want to maintain your anger. Some people are like angry theologians. Guess what? That's, that's not currency here, right? Uh, you shouldn't be maintaining your anger. Some of you want to maintain your porn or your bitterness or your materialism. Some of you want to maintain blaming everybody else so that you have an excuse not to grow. Here's the deal. What you love most, you will worship. And Jesus wants to be your only person of worship, your only God in your life. And if you don't love Jesus most, you will have a failure to thrive. God has made you to thrive. And following his moral will, his commands in scripture is the ingredients to thrive. John MacArthur, says it this way. The faithful servant of God knows that the true success in the Lord's work can only be attained only as he wholly accepts his divine calling and un, uh, unwilling, wavering commitment in their hearts, minds, and time and abilities and their spiritual gifts to do this. We must be more like Jesus. But the adhering to the moral will of God, I can give you 35 commands in scripture this morning. You know, let, let your words uh, be wholesome, meaning don't cuss, right? Don't get drunk, right? Make sure your sobriety is good. You know, uh, make sure that uh, you don't lust. Make sure you don't covet. A bunch of different commands I could throw on the screen this morning and say, okay, you want to thrive? Do these things. You know what's really easy? Making a list and preaching a list of things not to do. But I want to tell you something I think you already know. Is that if you are going to try to be obedient to a list and commands and scriptures in your own strength, you may do well for a couple weeks, but you will ultimately fail. Why? Because the Bible says our hearts, our hearts are compromised. John Calvin said the human heart is a factory of idols. An idol is anything that we obey or love more than God. And here's the deal. As we obey the commands and the moral will of God, when we remove one thing, if we're doing it in our own strength, our flesh will just place another idol in its place. John Calvin said that our hearts are a conveyor belt of idols. So how do we keep consistent and follow the moral commanded will of God so that we can be more like Jesus and thrive. Jesus gave us the answer. Jesus said it best. This is how we stay in the moral will of God and obey his commands in scripture. You ready? Jesus said, love. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your souls, all your mind and all your strength. You see, Jesus doesn't want just some of your love. He doesn't want pieces of your love. He wants all of your love. All of your heart. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. What you love more than what you love of God, the idols of your heart, the thing that you value more, you love more than God, when, you say, when he's saying love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what he's saying is transfer your love from this thing over here, whether it's good, it's bad, or it's ugly, and, and transfer it to your Jesus Christ. It's a transfer of love. What he's saying is this. You may love these other things. These things might be fun. These things you might enjoy. But God's better. 
Jesus is better. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of, our, our, of, our, of all of our lives. Love is the motivating factor in staying consistent. You know, when Peter was, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he asked Peter, he already told Peter that he was gonna, you know, he'd given him the, the keys of the church, right? And so Peter already knew he had a, he had a divine mission ahead of him. And, and, and Jesus goes to Peter and he said, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says he was greatly distressed. He's like, yes, I do. Then feed my sheep. This is what's really big about this. It's not that Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. Jesus could have asked Peter, hey, Peter, uh, he could have done this. He said, hey, Peter, I'm about ready to go up to heaven, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. Okay, Jesus, I'll do that, right? That, that, that's how the conversation went. But instead, three times he asks him, do you love me? Why? Because Jesus knew that if love was not the motivating factor of being obedient, Peter would not be obedient. The love of God must overwhelm our hearts, our minds, and our souls. If you want to be in the moral will of God and obey the commands of God, you've got to love God. You've got to love him with all your heart. So the question is this. Do you love God? Do you love him? Now imagine if, if I were to bring the microphone up there, everybody would be like, yeah, yes, I love God. Yes, I love God, right? But do you love him with all your heart? Are you loving the right things? You see, sometimes people confuse the love of God with the love of the blessings of God. I know I do sometimes. I get, I get that confused. I conflate the, the blessings of God as God, but that's not God. That's what God did for you. Do we only love God because of the things that he does for you? If that's the, if, if that's the case, may I say you are one unanswered prayer away from not loving God. Do you love God or do you only love the stuff of God? You can't just love his blessing, his mercy, his kindness. You've got to love God. You've got to love Jesus Christ. He is the main thing. Jesus is our ultimate treasure. When I got a call that my mom had passed, I went into my office. It was very late. Middle of the night. And I began to write something I never thought I was going to have to write. Not at least right now, anyway. I began to write her funeral and her obituary. In fact, when I opened up my computer, it's been three weeks, I opened up my computer for the first time here, and there it was. Just like it was yesterday. So I began to write it with tears streaming down my face. I immediately began to think of heaven. And I thought of, man, what a wild reality. Someone I talked to on the phone just days prior is now before Jesus. Death will do that, by the way. Death will make you think of eternity, whether it's someone that's not so close to you or someone who's definitely close to you. Death will make you think of heaven. It's the reason why a lot of people don't even want to go to funerals anymore. It's the reason why people aren't even having funerals for their loved ones. It's because they don't want to think of death. But death is a great equalizer. It is coming for every single one of us. 
unless Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime. Death forces you to think of what will forever be like. And if you're a follower of Christ, you can think of what will forever be like in heaven. So I immediately thought of the joy knowing that my mom knew Jesus and that I would see her again in heaven. And I began to be very, very excited to see her again in heaven and deeply love the idea of that. In fact, I want to be completely honest. I, I, when Paul said that he longs to be in heaven, but he knows that he has work to do here, so he's going to stay here, but he's so conflicted, that verse meant more than anything in that moment. Because I realized, man, to be in front of Jesus would be so amazing. Yet, he's given me and he's given you, as long as we have breath in our lungs, a job to do for him. So I thought about this for weeks, the joy of seeing my mom again and others that have departed that were believers in heaven. But then I had this weird thought. What is the main event of heaven? Am I more excited to see my mom in heaven or Jesus? Am I more excited about the possible reunion of, of others if they knew Christ, right? Or Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong. It is okay to long to see loved ones that have departed. I'm excited for that. It's going to be a joyous moment. But this is the conclusion of things. The main event of heaven is Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. And honestly, this is the question. Is seeing Jesus the most exciting aspect of heaven for you? I'm going to be honest. There's times in my past it hasn't been. I'm like, man, I can't wait to see the golden roads. Man, I can't wait to travel the universe. Man, I can't wait to see this person. I can't wait to ask this question. What about just being at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, I'm here with you. John Piper asks this. Here's the critical question for our generation and for every generation. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures that you ever tasted and no human conflict and no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven even if Christ wasn't there? <laughs> If the answer is yes, and let's be honest, like, man, that sounds good, even if Jesus wasn't there. Listen, you missed it. When we begin to drink in the deep love of who God is, when he is our greatest treasure, man, then everything else is properly put into its place. And therein lies how you begin to live and long for the moral will of God. Jesus is the greatest thing that we can ever have. The reason why it is a joy to be forgiven of our sins is not supremely avoiding the punishment of hell or getting some kind of blessing. Uh, we eternally get God. That's the main event. And when we eternally get God, we get to respond and praise for who he is. If the love of God is not a motivating factor, then trying to obey the moral will of God will be a forced exercise of compliance instead of a response to our love for almighty God. The love of God compelled Paul to obey what we see here, the written commands. This is what he said, for it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. The word of God compelled him to be a messenger of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loved God. He was willing to go to prison for God. He was willing to lose all that he had for God. He was willing to die for the name of Jesus Christ, and he did. Why? Because Jesus was his ultimate treasure. 
God is worthy of our obedience. His love language is our obedience. God has a moral will for our lives. We don't get to make the rules. Uh, we play by his ways. So how we think, how we speak, what we do, what we value, the Lord must be the Lord of our lives. If you want to be the center of God's will, and all of us want to be in the center of God's will, right? We need to be obedient in the moral will of God by obeying his commands because the will of God starts with God, not you. God has a clear, moral, revealed will that we have the responsibility to obey. It is conditional upon our actions. We can obey or disobey them. But secondly, there's a second will of God I want to talk about this morning uh, that happens no matter what you can do, and it's called the sovereign will of God. So you have the moral will of God, which is his commands. We have the responsibility to obey. And now we have the sovereign will for your life. And this is God's plan that will not be shaken. All of creation is under an unwritten will called God's sovereignty. God is fully in control. In this world, it seems like things are just absolutely bonkers and out of control, right? You put on the news like, are you kidding me? God, where are you? Like, I've had a number of prayers like that over the last three years. God, where are you? Hello, right? <laughs> we're, we're, I, over here, all right? But he's in control. It's not my, my, your plans, Andy. You think you know more than me? No, no, I don't, God, right? But we still say it to him. We're still like, God, what are you doing? God, I'd do it this way. When the world seems out of control, just know this, God's sovereignty cannot be broken. His ways will always come to pass. Our God is sovereign and he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for this will, uh, for this world. He knew how you were going to come into this world and you did. He knows how your life will end and it will. And in his sovereignty, he allows all things to happen or not happen. As I said, my mom was to begin targeted treatment at the end of April. We knew it was going to be a long shot. But we knew no matter what uh, treatment she had, God was fully in control. And no matter what we tried to do, God knew the number of her days. So just days prior, before we were to start that treatment, mom had that stroke. She couldn't receive any additional treatment. And we knew nothing short of a miracle. Mom was soon going to be called home. But my mom knew this. There'd be nights she'd say, Lord, just take me. I'm ready. Just take me. I'm ready. And we're like, we're not ready. We're not ready. She was ready. But even when she'd say, take me, three days later, she was still there. And it's a demonstration that God's ways are greater than our ways. The Apostle Paul spoke within God's will that God would open and close doors and this is what he said in Romans 15, 22. In speaking of his journeys, in speaking of, of his call to the Gentiles, he begins to transition his conversation to where he wants to go to preach the gospel. But he says an interesting statement here in, in verse 22. He says, that is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. I have a strong desire for many years to come to you. What Paul is saying here is, Hey, Roman church, I'm, I'm writing you what's going to be the most prolific book in the Bible, right? I, I, I'm writing you right now saying, I haven't come to you yet, and I want to. I desire to. But for whatever reason, I have been prevented. That word prevented literally means to cut out as a trench. 
Uh, he's using a word that would have been very common in, in, in the Roman world. If you were to use this word prevented, cut a trench in the road, it was so that an oncoming enemy army couldn't come and continue to go down that road. A trench is preventing them from going any further. What he's saying is there are times God puts a trench in our plans. Oh man, I'm speaking now, right? There's plans that were like, God, why isn't this happening? He's put a trench. I don't understand. Listen, you might not ever understand, but he put a trench. How'd you react when he put that trench in your life? Maybe he closed the doors on a job, on a relationship. Maybe there are different prayers that you've been praying for year over year over year and you want it a certain way and there's just a trench. But I want you to know this. A trench is proof that he's directly involved in your life. Not that he's absent and not that he's not listening. We serve a God who's directly involved and will intervene as he chooses. Sometimes he prevents us from things or sometimes he allows things to linger in our life until we get sick of it, right? Until we realize, oh man, sin is gross, right? Or, 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 or maybe sometimes he'll put blessings in our life. He is a, the God of, of all sovereignty. He is Lord, he's in charge. Sometimes God will give us understanding these situations. Sometimes he'll speak to us through his word. Sometimes he'll speak to us uh, through his spirit. But know this, no matter what, and no matter what understanding you come to, God is in control. In every of our moments, God controls men and women miraculously by the Spirit and also non-miraculously through uh, indirect means that we cannot observe or are unaware of. Through God's sovereignty, through God's sovereign will and intervention, we are oftentimes unaware, get this, we are oftentimes unaware of maybe even catastrophe that could have happened to us time and time again. We are unaware of just how much God is protecting us and keeping us. He's directly involved and will intervene as he chooses. Sometimes he prevents us from things, other times he does not. And that's why we must thank him for every moment and every day that we have. He has kept you over and over and over again. By his sovereign will, he chose for you to be born and live in this era. Uh, Why? Because he wants to use you in this era. Uh, By God's sovereign will, sometimes he throws you into hard situations. And we know uh, through many scriptures in the Bible that he throws you in hard situations so that you will persevere and grow in your faith. As Proverbs 16, 9 says, that the mind of humans plans their way but the Lord directs the steps. Paul reminds us, it is God at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we know that when something evil or something bad happens, our prayer is that what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn out for good. I want you to know when you're in a hard situation in life right now, and there may be deep, hard things, and if you're not in a deep, hard thing, oh, it's coming. And you could be like, oh, I don't want it to come. I want to avoid it. You don't need to avoid it because it's coming anyway. But I want you to know is that you can be equipped, you can be strengthened, you can be ready, so that when you are past that hard thing, you're stronger. And there's a promise in Scripture that no matter what hard thing, confusing thing, longing thing, thing that you wish would come into your life and it hasn't happened, I want you to know Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I've heard this passage misphrased and misused. They say, I know that God works all things for the good. Well, hold up. You're missing a key part of the equation. He works all things for the good who have been called according to his purpose for those that love him. You need to love God. 
Uh, you need to be called according to his purpose. When you are walking in his will, you may go through the hardest things in life. You don't know how you're going to survive another day. But I want you to know that it is not in vain. God is growing you and strengthening you to be that person of God. Know that it's in those moments that may be hard. It may be in the end a blessing. Why? Because God is preparing you for something even greater. When your heart is for the will of God, you can know that his purposes will guide you into his goodness, trusting he is in control, trusting he has his best reserved for his faithful. It may not be what you want. It may be in this next life in heaven, but he will not let you down. You may be facing disappointment or hardship, but God is good and his faithfulness lasts forever. Church, trust in the sovereignty of God. Obey his moral will, but trust in his sovereign will for your life. Your disappointment does not mean he does not love you. Oh, to the contrary, he knows what you're going through and he loves you so deeply and he is inviting you to love him with all of your heart because it is for your greatest good. The will of God starts with God, not you. God has a moral will for your life. And God has a sovereign will for your life. And lastly, God's will is for you to use wisdom. What is God's will? Like, you can just put a, you could fill in the blank here. It could be a relationship. It could be a job or whatever. And sometimes we get stuck on this. I'm like, okay, God, I have, I have, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When I was first being a pastor, I, I put my resume in, uh, in Kenosha. And I put my resume uh, somewhere in Illinois. And they both wanted to hire me. And I went to my uh, church I was serving at as an intern. I said, what do I do? I, I have two equally good uh, places and I've prayed and I'm not getting anything and I don't want to be disobedient and he just said something he goes Andy use your wisdom I'm lacking wisdom what do I do pray okay okay great Uh, what else he goes well Andy could it be in God's sovereignty that you have the first interview in Kenosha huh and I began to pray about that and I said okay I'm gonna take the interview in Kenosha I went to Kenosha and then actually God began to speak and and I said okay awesome right but it wasn't this like open of the clouds like it's Illinois or it's Kenosha. It's like, no, it's like, what, what did God sovereignly do first? He placed Kenosha first. And it was within that, I'm like, yes, this makes sense. We make plans. We know the plans of our hearts will only come into effect through the providence of the Lord. Planning is not lacking trust in God's providence. It's making the most, in, uh, most use of our time and being sensitive to God doing a course correction. Here's the deal. Sometimes people think they want to be super spiritual so they don't plan at all. I've had people do this. Like, oh, I'm just, I just don't do anything. It's like, what do you don't do? What, what do you mean by that? It's like, I just let the spirit speak and I go. I'm like, man, you probably don't do much. And like, there's this, there's this one, there's this, I remember there's this one person, I was running an inner city ministry at the time in college and, and there's this one individual and, and they wanted to shadow. And, and so they came down on the train. We went to the inner city and I said, what'd you think when, they're, when we were done with the night? And, and he said, well, I just, I just got to wait on the Lord. Okay, sweet. I mean, I like the answer. It's like, okay, yeah, wait on the Lord. That, that's wonderful. It's wonderful. And then I called back a week later. So, hey, you think about coming down and hear from the Lord? I'm just waiting on the Lord. Okay, just waiting. Okay, great. I asked this person a year later, hey, what's going on? I'm just waiting on the Lord. That person ended up doing nothing, all right? Nothing. And so sometimes God just wants us to use wisdom and we need to trust him in, that, in, the, in the opportunities that he has placed to close the door, open the door. We see this in Romans chapter 15, verse 24. He just talked about wanting to go to Rome. And he says, whenever I travel to Spain, 
wanted to go to Spain. I hope to see you when I pass through and be assisted by you for my journey there once I've first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. So like Paul has this huge plan laid out. Like, all right, I'm first gonna go to Jerusalem, then I'm gonna go to Spain, but I wanna be with you for a while. And a while for me is like two weeks and you know, we're gonna have tea and we're gonna have you know, crumpets. We're gonna have all these different things, right? Like we're gonna be good, right? I have this whole plan, this whole agenda. And you know what God said to that? You ain't going to Rome yet. Paul, you're going to go to Rome when you're imprisoned. And you're going to go to Rome when you're beheaded. You aren't going to have some dinner. And so Paul, who, inspired, who God used to inspire most of the New Testament, he has plans here that weren't in fruition. God closed those doors. Paul thought he would make it to Spain. Some think maybe he did, but there's a good chance he didn't. So what do we do with the unknown future? Maybe you're like, okay, God, do I go on this mission trip or not? You just pray for the wisdom of the Lord and maybe he'll speak to you or maybe it's like, hey, you're free to make that choice, but know that your choice, God's sovereignty is playing in it. Let me give you another example. I felt led by the Lord uh, to move uh, from Iowa to Chicago uh, my second year in college. I wanted to do a, um, I wanted to get involved in your same ministry. In fact, I, I felt God leading us that, that direction. The way that I got involved in interstate ministry, though I wouldn't uh, recommend it, I, I didn't do any planning, all right? So I just showed up into Chicago. I'm like, here I am. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, uh, me and my buddy, Ben, uh, we're, gonna do, we're gonna do intercity ministry. Like, well, we're looking for two Bible study leaders. Sweet, all right? Like, God had mercy on us in that, right? <laughs> but, um, but I remember as I was feeling the call to go to Chicago, it's like, okay, God, is it gonna be Trinity or is it gonna be Moody? And I was praying hard. It's like, and I came to the conclusion, I'm going to go to Moody Bible Institute. Like, I thought that was from God, all right? I'm going to go to Moody, Moody Bible Institute. So I called up. I was going to get my application. This is back before you go online. And I said, hey, Moody Bible Institute. I'm like, yeah, my name's Andy. I'm, I'm going to do all this thing for the inner city. And, you know, God's leading me here. I think he's leading me to you guys. So I need an application. I need the whole, the whole process. And the guy just kind of pauses and goes, ah, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. What? But the application deadline was yesterday. <laughs> it's like, oh, Okay, well, I, I guess God's will is for me to go to Trinity, right? And that's how it is sometimes. Sometimes we think what God is doing, we realize, eh, he's going to close the door. It's like, okay, uh, we could get stuck on such the particulates, but what's the bigger thing that God wants you to do? So I went to Trinity, ended up meeting Allison there, and now I have three kids. I see where God's will was, all right? We should never be presumptuous about our future. We need to rely on God for our futures. God can lead you through wisdom, even supernatural wisdom. But when we get prideful about it or we get stuck about it, we can make a mess. And that's why we need prayer for your plans. We see this in verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with you. Amen. You know what I love about this prayer being recorded here? Only half of it, God said yes. The second part, Again, Paul was imprisoned and was beheaded. He wasn't refreshed and he felt very alone. In fact, when you read his, his, the prison letters in, in the New Testament, he's often feeling very lonely and feeling like he was abandoned. The key is this. So whatever we think our plans are, if we're a planner and we all need to plan, we need to pray. We need to pray for his wisdom. And even if our prayers are not answered in a certain way, if we, even if we don't understand, he wants you to become more like him. Trust him in, your, in his sovereignty act out in wise decisions and obey him in his moral commands, but that all 
stems through an ultimate love of the Father. Do you love God? Know if today your heart's wavering, know that God is better. And just simply ask God, God, I want to love you. I want to love you more. I need to be delivered from my own desires because I know I love other things more. God, I want to love you. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. You know, with the death of my mom, my will was not the outcome. But the Lord's will was not stopped. And today she was before the greatest, today she's before the greatest treasure, fully healed and cancer-free. Full in worship and full in praise. I love what Charles Spurgeon declared. He said the best moment of a Christian's life is his last one. Because they are nearest then to heaven. He went on, he says, the only people I envy in my church are the dying members of my church. <laughs> wow. My will was not answered, but God's will won the day. And as I reflected, the result is this. Every breath is a gift. Know this, my mom, as I spent the last couple weeks, she rooted for this church, she prayed for this church. Her stomach turned every time Satan would attack the gospel in this church, but she reminded me, don't be surprised when that happens if you're going to hold on to the gospel of this church. Just after one of her strokes, mom mentioned she began hearing and seeing God very clearly. She said, Andy, I'm seeing God. And it's like, oh, and at first I thought, okay, is this the stroke speaking or is this God speaking? And I realized, no, this is mom speaking. She says, I saw this book and there's these pages and they were just flipping. They were flipping. And, there was and this was about three months before she passed, right before right, right, she had her strokes. She says, there's still more pages for me, for God to write in me. And then she looked up. She said, Andy, I'm worried about you. I said, you just had a stroke, mom. What are you worried about me? And he goes, I pray for you because I know that if you hold on to the gospel, you will be attacked. Keep preaching the gospel. Those remaining pages of her life were written. And they were written to speak maybe perhaps even more profoundly than she'd ever spoken her entire life. And when she came to that last page, the book was closed. And God said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Being the center of God's will is not necessarily a safe place. It may be the most dangerous place for a human being to be. You may experience rejection. You may experience hardship, even death. And this may come from atheists. Often it will come from religious. But let me tell you this. It is better to spend one day in the hardship of this world and be safe in the hands of God rather than being one day in comfort in this world and opposed to the agenda of the Lord. The most dangerous place to be is to be comfortable in the now at the expense of the security in the forever. Kenosha City Church, we will be a place that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kenosha City Church, we will be a place that strives to live in the moral will of God. Kenosha City Church, we will worship in the sovereignty of God. Kenosha City Church, we will strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in the wisdom of God. And Kenosha City Church, we will keep the main thing the main thing. That is to make Jesus known in this city. We will make, make the main thing the main thing. That we will love and treasure Jesus greater than anything else in our life. And anything else, we simply don't have time for. 
May this be a course correction for our own lives. May this be, if need be, in any course correction uh, for Kenosha City Church. And I hope this is an inspiration for churches all across this city. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ period. The fun and games of making it about people's last names, making it about uh, whatever you want to be about, or about some pet doctrine, or about doing whatever you want to do that is dishonoring to the name of Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ, period. And you have pages that God is still writing in your life. And I want you to know, as long as you're alive, you got more pages. And when he closes that book, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. I want him to say when he comes back, well done, Kenosha City Church, my good and faithful servants. Why? Because people came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because he saw the love of God and the hearts of the people of God in this church. It's all about Jesus. Amen? So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. As we continue to pray, I just wanted to say to anybody here, if you've never made certain that you're saved, do you know you're going to heaven? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus personally? If you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you, or you know you're not saved, or you know you're far from God, God wants to draw you near to him this morning. So with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, today you want to get right with Jesus, with no one looking around, just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me right now. I want to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. I want to say yes to Jesus. We just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I, I, I wanna place my faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, grow me. I wanna follow you with my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.